0: that Mark wants to portray Israel's religious and political establishment as predominantly a united front against the Lord Jesus. The Pharisees and Herodians today are two extremes of the political religious spectrum in Israel. They try to trap Jesus with a question about paying taxes to Caesar. But Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. You can't trap Him, even though they will keep trying. His wisdom As the Messiah supersedes even the wisdom of the great Solomon. Jesus this morning distinguishes between two legitimate spheres of authority in our lives. He resolves the dilemma. The question rises. He silences his critics. But it's also an implied indictment this morning on these religious leaders that they have not given to God what is his due. They have not recognized his all-encompassing ownership of them. God has placed his mark on all of us, every single one of us, as his image bearers, imprinting us with the fact that we are created and owned by him. He then sent the exact imprint of his nature to us in the person of his son that we might be reconciled to God, but also that we might finally properly recognize God's ownership of each one of us. Let me pray and we'll begin. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of Jesus Christ proclaimed to us perfectly in the gospel. Lord, how I ask that you would rend our hearts this morning as we listen and that you would open our minds to receive the truth. May your spirit be free to do in us whatever needs to be done in light of this text for the sake of your name and your gospel, and your people, and the lost you mean to save. So God, overcome everything within me that would try to make this text an occasion to say something about myself. May I not get in the way, Father, may nothing I bring into this pulpit get in the way of the truth of your word and its sufficiency for us. I ask that you would enable every person in this room to hear, to receive to submit to your word and your command. I ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me read 13 through 17 of Mark 12. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. They, in verse 13, comes from 1127. They are the ruling priests and elders and experts in the law. These are the three groups that make up the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of Jerusalem. And what we find is that all of them are allied together against Jesus. The Pharisees and Herodians being together are strange bedfellows, though. This is a very strange alliance here. The Herodians were Jewish supporters of the Herodian dynasty in Israel, and they were pro-Roman. The Pharisees were extremely anti-Roman. They wanted the Davidic Messiah to come and throw out and destroy the Gentiles and kick them out of Israel forever. But they are united here. They're united by their fear of Jesus. Namely, His authority and the potential it has for the people. It threatens the hope for political stability for the Herodians and it threatens the religious influence that the Pharisees have had over the people for so long. Fear, we're meant to see fear, particularly of authority that isn't ours, leads to hypocrisy, which leads to an outright rejection of the Lord, even in the person of His Son. Trap in verse 13 is a very nice way of putting it. The word actually means to take. Or to kill by hunting. So they aren't here, even though there are smiles on their faces, they're they're not here to play verbal games with Jesus to make him look dumb. They want to destroy Jesus with violence. And so in verse 14, they begin, of course, as you would, with flattery. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? You are true, Jesus. You you are not guided or you're guided by what is true rather than what is expedient. Like so many people in culture are, the Pharisees and Herodians say, we know you don't care about anyone's opinion. You don't care about what others say. You're not swayed by appearances. You, you don't show favoritism. You don't change what you're teaching based on the status or position Of the person you're speaking to. And it's funny, in spite of themselves, they speak the truth about Jesus. All those things are completely accurate about our Lord Jesus. Since he teaches the true way of God, then, he should know whether paying taxes to Caesar is in God's will or is against God's will. It's taxes to the occupying force in Israel. That's what is meant by... Is it lawful? Is it God's will that we pay taxes to Caesar or is it not? This tax is probably uh, the Roman poll or the head tax, it was called. It was instituted way back in AD 6. It sparked a revolt led by Judas the Galilean that was violently put down by the Romans. He called Judas, called Jews that were willing to pay this tax cowards that would rather submit to mortal men than actually submit to their covenant God. If Israel was a theocracy, then paying taxes to Caesar, the emperor of Rome, would have been treason, he said. Later in AD 66-74, to the zealous movement that sparked the Jewish war with Rome in that time, they looked to Judas for inspiration. That's how much he was loved and revered. Caesar was the original family name of Julius Caesar. It came to refer, as we know from our history, to any Roman emperor here, pay taxes to Caesar. This is shorthand for the whole Roman Empire, which was represented in the time of Jesus by Tiberius Caesar. And so they're asking, very deliberately, asking Jesus to settle one of the most controversial issues of the time among the Jews. Again, they're being forced by law to pay taxes to an occupying force. You can imagine how much that would grate on you. Almost every Jew hated the idea of paying anything to Caesar Then you consider the markup that tax collectors added in. It made it even worse. Some Pharisees thought that the people of Israel were under a moral obligation not to pay taxes to Caesar. So it couldn't be a hotter-button issue. Is Jesus trapped here? Because if he answers, yes, you should pay them, people who despise Roman oppression, most Jews, and despise taxes would turn against him. This would turn the crowds against him. But if he says, no, don't pay the taxes, now he, in front of the Herodians, is guilty of sedition and liable to arrest and crucifixion. And of course, beloved, this was the whole point. That was the whole point of the question. Allegedly, there's no way Jesus can answer this and stay clean and safe and above board. The problem is what they don't believe about him, and that's that Jesus is the Messiah. He is true. So threats or warnings about... How things may affect him or what he might say may affect him. It has no bearing whatsoever on how he answers questions. You can't do this with the one who is and who speaks the truth. Veiled threats, right? Unsaid threats, flattery. Those are often attempts of people to get leverage over a person. To back them into a corner so that they stay in control. The Pharisees, now the Pharisees and Herodians are all are all always trying to do this with Jesus. They can't do it. He sees right through it, as in this case, probably any thinking person would have. But where are Jesus' loyalties here? What is his answer? Look in verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus knows it's a test in verse 15. And magically, a coin like this is readily available. And when you think about it, Jesus didn't have to actually see it. They knew what was on it. He knew what was on it. He could have just said it and made his point. What is he doing? He wants to show everybody looking on that these men have these coins on them. They use them. They're a part of their currency. A denarius is a Roman coin. It was worth about a day's wages in that Period. It's the very coin, by the way, that was used to pay that poll tax, the head tax. And, of course, it has the image of the emperor on it. Probably here, Tiberius, who reigned from A.D. 14 to 37. It was imprinted with this saying to Caesar de V. Augustus, which in Latin meant Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus himself. On the reverse side of the coin is a prescription, by the way, that said Pontiff Maxim. Tiberius Caesar was also the high priest of the Roman Empire. So Caesar is not only a political ruler of an empire, he's a supreme religious leader as well. So, how in the world could you pay taxes to him? He's considered a deity. Augustus Caesar was not a name, that was a title. It means August one, revered one. He was given that name because it was believed that he possessed transcendent. Majesty. Well, if you're a Jewish person in this time, you only use that term, august, or a term like it for God. So to refer to a creature, a mere mortal, as august was idolatry. And you have to pay these taxes. The denarius that you pay it with displays the fullness of Rome's arrogance and idolatry and oppression. Now, however, the Roman coin also shows the duplicity of the religious leadership of Israel. So while trying to trap Jesus into saying something either seditious or blasphemous, they are carrying, therefore already using, coins with idolatrous images and messages. So it must not have bothered them too much, right? Verse 17, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. They marveled at him. This is an amazing thing to say. It's almost, when it comes to Caesar, pure indifference. Right? According to Roman law, this coin with his imprint on it, it belongs to Caesar. Jesus is saying, this is Caesar's coin. Use it to pay Caesar's tax then. He points out, in other words, that there are realms of authority for both Caesar and God. Loyalty to one does not necessarily mean disloyalty to the other one. However... Here's the thing they're missing. The means by which Caesar was allowed to own or rule anything was the will of God alone. Caesar was God's ruler for Rome. That does not mean God approved of him or approved of his policies or supported him. It means Caesar was the leader at that time God appointed to pursue or achieve the purpose he had in the world, it is God who raises up kings and rulers. It is God who displaces them and puts them down. Every ruler in that sense is God's ruler for that people and for that time. In other words, what belonged to Caesar is only what God would have given him in the first place. This is how the question of paying taxes, even as difficult as it is in our day, Is answered with biblical wisdom and biblical insight. Given texts like Romans 13, 1 through 7, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, submission to human authorities, even oppressive ones at times, is part of God's will for Christians. So pay your taxes to Caesar if he's required them, but not because you worship him, but because you worship me, right? Why does a wife, for example, why is a wife called to submit to her sinful, earthly husband, because in doing so, she's submitting to Christ, right? This is God's modus operandi, pay your taxes to Caesar if he's required them, but not because you worship him, because you worship me. They're not commanded to love Rome. They're not commanded to celebrate Rome or sing songs about being in Rome. They're not commanded to take pride in Rome. Interestingly, they're commanded to do the one thing they would not want to do, and that's pay their taxes. Jesus reveals that whether or not they submit to God's word is reflected in whether or not they pay taxes to Caesar, if God has commanded them to do so. Now, why? God, how, why is that the case? Caesar is so Evil. Our tax dollars right now are going to things we would despise, beloved. Why? They marveled at him. So as we listen to this text, marvel at Jesus here. Why is this the way? How can this be the way? How would it make sense to pay taxes to things like this? God, how can that be the case? Beloved, because everything belongs to God. Do we think he's not getting it? Like, like, like when we pay to see, now it's out of God's hands? What can God do that we gave the money to Caesar? No, 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 no. It's all His. What you have, what I have in our bank accounts right now, do you know His name is actually on that account? Our God and our Father. Everything. Everything. That's why you don't have to be conflicted. You're not, you're not meant to be conflicted. Until the government forces you to disobey the Lord we obey. Right, if they're if they're gonna make us pay taxes, you know, as like leverage to get us from preaching the gospel, well, then now we have a different conversation, don't we? Now we have a different issue. But the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, everyone that lives in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm twenty four one. There's nothing that's happening, existing, nothing that's given, nothing that's kept that isn't actually the Lord's anyway. Don't be afraid. Don't be conflicted. Well, if everything belongs to God, paying taxes to Caesar by God's command is simply recognizing because paying taxes stinks. Right? It stinks. I I have to tell you this. Hilarious. This is 100% true. Okay, This is not a preacher story. This is true. My daughter Sophia got her first paycheck from the Glendale pool. So you can imagine it was a massive paycheck. Right? And she... Comes home, she opens the envelope, she's so excited, looks at it, and goes, they took money out of it. I'm like, and Christian, they're like, yeah, honey, you th- those are taxes. She's like, we have to pay, like, we? She's like, I just work at the pool. I'm like, yeah, honey, we, you have to pay taxes. And, and I said, the more that you make, the more they're going to take out. And she goes, then why work? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I hear you, you know, paying taxes stinks, especially, listen, especially when the government that is over us is not godly, is not pursuing the things of God, is, is actually militantly set against our God. It is very hard. Beloved, look, those are the places where faith becomes real. Right. Do we have the faith to pay our taxes when God has commanded us to when the government is reprehensible? Right. And, and really, beloved, when is it not? At some level. It's, it's manly, right? It's, it's, it's human. So it's a very hard thing to do. This is where faith really plays out. You know, can we do something like even paying our taxes? Paying our taxes by God's command is simply recognizing God's ownership of even Caesar's taxes, right? You're actually giving to God in this way to withhold from Caesar would be to withhold from God. And this was their very sin in the religious establishment of Israel, withholding from God, and far more than whether or not they were paying taxes to Caesar. Render to God the things that are God's. If we focus on the front part of this sentence, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, the whole conversation will become about taxes. Taxes are here. It's an important part of it. But it's the last phrase here That really ought to make us think. Render to God the things that are God's. Well, we need to answer the question. What is God's then? What percentage of my life do I give to God? Well, in context, where is the image of God imprinted? Right? What in the world has the image of God stamped on it? Whose likeness and inscription... Do they bear, and as also humans do we bear, God's, beloved, my whole self, my existence is God's property. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And believers now as God's children, we, those of us who are believers, even bear his seal In 2 Timothy 2.19, but most importantly for Mark, the one they are intent on trapping so that they may kill him is who? This is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, even more in that sense than just an image of him. This Jesus is the exact imprint of of his nature, who by the way also upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. So, if anybody has authority to answer the question of where taxes should be paid, it is this Messiah, it is Jesus. God the Father is made known perfectly without any deficiency or any subtraction of divinity at all in one place Jesus Christ the Son to the one standing in front of them. That again. They're trying to fool and to kill. These men oh, everything. All their allegiance, all their worship, their very lives, for his image and likeness has been imprinted on them. And they don't even see it. They think they own their lives. And in verse 17, for the first time in Mark, the religious leaders, or at least that we read in Mark... The religious leaders, it's usually the crowds that stand in amazement of Jesus' words, they marveled at him. Why here? Why is this at least the only time Mark records them so far being amazed at Jesus' words? What wisdom is this? Why is Jesus saying this? Where does this come from? How can you answer so sufficiently and simply and shockingly? beloved, the answer comes, I think, from Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, sorry, where the messianic shoot of Jesse would be endowed with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, Isaiah 11:2. Jesus answers this question from, or the question from 11:28 again here, as he's been doing of where He gets His authority. He answered it in the parable of the vineyard. He has the authority of the Father who sent Him. Here He answers it by the fact that the very Spirit of God Himself empowers and guides Him and everything He says. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Jewish eyes have been on Caesar, whether it's in love or hatred. You know, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Their eyes have been on the law and pleasing God through their works as the means of their salvation. Their eyes have been on other people. Their eyes have been on one another. They've been looking to what will gain them advantages in the world, what will make them righteous, or at least appear righteous to others. They've looked to what is expedient for them when they have been imprinted with the image of the God who made them. And they have so rejected His ownership of them. Because if that's the case, if the image of God which speaks to possession is on a person, and they live one second not submitting to him, and are therefore guilty of death? What responsibility is this? And they have completely forsaken it, and rejected it, and ignored it. And as we saw in the parable of the tenants, they've tried to steal from God. They've so rejected his ownership of them that when the exact imprint of God's nature came, and if they had been living as the image of God, recognizing that in submission to him, when the exact imprint showed up, there would have been a resonance. Ah, that's what we've been waiting for. He'll lead us to the promised land, so to speak. But instead, when, they showed, when, when he showed up, the exact imprint of God's nature showed up, he was an alien to them. They hated him for being what they knew they should have been but could not be. At a practical level this morning, the practical level of this text, the paying taxes part, let's talk about that for a moment. We look to the wisdom of Jesus when asking the question of our responsibility as believers to the government. Jesus was not, despite people that are trying to hijack him today for their, you know, agendas or whatever, Jesus was not a revolutionary of any kind. In the sense of trying to overthrow Rome. That's just not what he was doing. He affirms here the legitimacy of their government. That is a tough pill to swallow. That's not blow again. I am not saying Jesus endorsed, supported, or approved of Rome. I'm saying that God's will is superior and ultimate. And if that's who he's chosen to accomplish his purpose in that time and over that people, then he grants legitimacy to the authority of such a government. He wasn't a revolutionary. He affirms at least about this earthly government the principle of taxation. Pay your taxes. What an insane thing it would have been for them to hear, as it is for us in our current climate, right? Paul picks up on this in Romans 13, 1-7, when in the very context of submission to earthly governments and authorities, he commands the Christians in Rome by the Holy Spirit to give to everyone what you owe them. That's that's a sweeping statement because what if someone else is determining what you owe them? Right? That's a very hard pill to swallow. I wouldn't owe them anything if they didn't have these unjust tax laws. Well, they do. And government is legitimate. So we need to pay our taxes, right? Taxation, again, is not a simple issue in our time or our country either, is it? But... How do we answer the questions? Where do we look? We look, beloved, to texts like Daniel 4. We remember that God is sovereign in raising up and bringing down human governments. We look to texts like Romans 13. God uses human authorities as his agents of justice in the world. Of course, there are exceptions if the commands of a government run contrary to the commands of God in a way that would make you disobey them, Right? You have the Hebrew midwives disobeying the order of Pharaoh to kill the Hebrew children. You have Daniel's three friends refusing to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. You have the apostles in Acts and their refusal to stop preaching the gospel because love for God and obedience to Him are the responsibilities of every believer. And so when we see this, you know, um, disrespect, or I don't want to call it that, when we see disobedience to the state, it is because people are literally being commanded in that moment to disobey God. right? So you can, it, it, it would be very hard. We, we can't get into all this this morning, but it would be very hard if that's the case we do have for rebelling to put that on paying taxes because that's a much cloudier issue, isn't it? So it's, it's, it's a difficult command. Acts 5:29, however, we must obey God rather than men. And so when, we are commanded to pay taxes, even if it's unfair or unjust. We are called by our Lord, who cares that they're bossing us with it. We're called by our Lord to pay the taxes. And again, it is a testimony. It's an act of faith. God designs it so that we have to live fully dependent on him. right? It's, it's meant to make us look like hopeful people whose hope transcends anything the government can provide. Why do you pay your taxes to a government you don't support? Because I have faith in God that he runs everything. It's his money anyway, and I trust him. Are you serious? Yes, I'm right. That that, that would be one way to start that conversation. We marvel at it when Jesus says it. It doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. How could you command us to pay to something that's going to use the money for evil things? Because God's in control. Don't worry. He knows what he's doing. And it's his money. Trust him. Trust him. He will confound the wisdom of this world. He will weaken the strength of this world. Trust him. Trust him. The power of when obeying men, however, means disobeying God. Then we resist, right? The power of the sword to wage war, to punish evil, to keep peace, that has been granted by God to the state. Government is therefore legitimate, and Christians should in that sense respect it or support it. Romans thirteen seven: Render, therefore, to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. That was written when the Roman government was immoral and godless. So, beloved, the moral behavior of the state has no bearing on whether or not Christians should pay their taxes. God calls his people on purpose to a level of civil obedience that includes paying taxes, no matter how burdensome or oppressive they are. That's not an easy thing to accept. I'm not saying that it is. I'm not saying that it is. Our commitment to civil obedience does not mean we can't speak out against taxes. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean we can't speak out about anything else that the government does, but we cannot refuse to pay. We are free in America to make known our disagreements and our dislikes of policies. I think that's a good thing, but we are not free to say, you know what, the government's corrupt. I'm not paying my taxes. Beloved, that is disobeying the Lord. It really has, it, it shows an unwillingness to submit to the Lord and trust Him. More than it shows. I just, like, I'm not for this government. I'm, I'm not for it either. Right? Or, or, or that, in other words, that's not what decides whether or not I pay my taxes. I don't believe we should use our right to vote to support unfair taxing practices as far as that goes. Right? I, I don't believe that. I don't believe we should try to have unfair taxation laws implemented. Um, taxation that unjustly takes from one person and gives to another. Covetousness and stealing are sins. I don't believe we should help those things or deliberately support those things. We don't ask the government to take from someone to give to someone else, especially by force. Christians should not support that sort of thing. I think voting for taxes on others that we ourselves aren't going to pay is morally deficient, to say the least. That's, that's my opinion. R.C. Sproul writes that we must pay our taxes even if government is corrupt, but we should not participate in the corruption of the system as much as we're able not to do so. But, so that being said, okay, something deeper is happening here in this text than a matter of paying taxes. Beloved, God owns us. Owns us. And everything we have. He lays claim to everything we do. Everything we say. Everything we think. Everything about ourselves that nobody else can touch. Nobody else can have. It is His. We are His. If there is any area of or person in our lives... That not even God is allowed to touch. We are an idolater. Make zero mistake about this. And the Son, this God sent, is not only the Messiah of Israel, but the one whose image is on us. In Him resides all authority in heaven and on earth. We have been made in His image. His stamp is on us. We belong to Him. He owns us. God has placed His mark on us as His image bearers, imprinting on us the fact that we're created and owned by Him. We rebelled against Him. We rejected His image to make our own. So God sent the exact imprint of His nature to us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, that we might not only be reconciled to God... But that we might finally properly recognize His ownership of us. That we might finally fulfill being His image and the reason for which He created us like that. He didn't have to do that. He did that. And every day, we don't give Him His due. Every day, we do not give our God what He is owed. Which is all of us. Nothing makes more sense than total submission to Jesus, even from an accounting standpoint, right? We exist because He created us. Denying creation, is, let's call it what it is, it's denying that we're owned by God. That's why it's so prevalent, and people will believe such crazy things. And I look, I know that at one level what we believe is, is crazy in the sense that we weren't there, we didn't see creation. We, we believe some pretty extraordinary things I don't know that it's any less extraordinary to say that look there was nothing and it just blew up and here we are right like the human eye with its intricacies remember there was a time when there was nothing and that nothing exploded shouldn't we start there like that's weird nothing blew up what what blew up what is the bit right I mean we could do this all day But this is what, this issue here is why it's so prevalent to come up or to invent other causes for the origin of the universe. It's, it, it's because we naturally resist authority from infancy without even having to be taught to do so. That's in our DNA. I know you said not to eat of the tree, but it looks good to me and I want to eat it. So I'm going to. That's who we are. We will look something, we do this all the time in our lives, don't we? We'll look at something good and better, but we want this, and so we'll take it. Buying cars is a way to see this. You you set your eye on a car, and you're like, I want that car, and then you pull into the gas station the first time to fill it up, and it won't start after you fill it up with gas. That's a new one, right? So I've heard it said by some. It's it's why we resent anyone in authority over us, period. We We just do. We don't like the people that are over us. Or at least, you know, on, on some level. Maybe it's not that we dislike them personally, but we don't like authority. We don't like being owned. We, we want, that's every movie you watch. Almost. Will end up being a memo on the triumph of the human spirit and free will. Because nothing is more valuable in the universe than, than my, my destiny. My, my choice. My, it's all, it's what everything is about. The human spirit. The triumph of the human spirit. Right? What did John F. Kennedy say? We choose to do the other thing, right? We'll go to the moon. uh, We'll do better. We'll do bigger, right? We resent anyone in authority over us. And the greater someone's authority, the deeper our resentment. right? Just by knowing that Rome was over you all the time and there was nothing you could do about it it is part of what created that hatred of paying taxes. Well, imagine if the person whose authority we're talking about is the one who literally made us and owns us and his image is on us we owe him a lot more than we owe the government and we don't have the money to pay it we don't have the money to render to God's what is God's so what are we going to do beloved as believers we need to heed the voice of the spirit in our lives we need to listen to the word of God we need to learn our tendencies to resist his ownership wherever it lays claim to us. And we need to know where we're more likely to compromise or rebel or give in to our flesh. We need to know these things about ourselves because we're owned and we already have an image on us. Somebody has laid claim to us. We don't own ourselves. We belong to another. You are not your own, Paul writes. Paul writes. So the Corinthian believers, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. And the one to whom we happen to belong is the one who not only made everything, but owns everything. So where could we go? What could we do where we're outside the sphere of his ownership where now I can just be myself and do what I want to do? The image isn't something I've decided to take on. It's on me no matter where I am, who I'm talking to, where I go. The image is on me. I cannot escape it. I am constantly in debt to God. How can I earn enough to pay? How can I be righteous enough to satisfy holiness? What am I going to do? Render to God the things that are God's is the most damning thing to hear in the universe. Beloved, here's the thing, though. If He made us and He owns us, and he owns everything, and he made everything, then there is no one, no one, that has more wisdom or insight into what is good for me, and what is best for me, and what will make me whole, and forgive me, and heal me, and sustain me. Nobody knows those things like God. How could anybody? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, yes. Why? Well, because to God we must render Everything. And in case you're wondering, again, can I do this? Is that a challenge? No, you can't. That's a command. It cannot be obeyed rightly. Render unto God the things that are God's. But, since Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature and bears His image perfectly with no defect, we can Place our hope and our faith in him, all of it, and his forgiving blood and his justifying righteousness will become our own so that what we were on the hook for to pay, Jesus steps in to do for us. That is salvation. They needed to hear that sentence and not marvel at the wisdom only, but marvel at the fact of their utter bankruptcy to give God his due. No one is more deserving of our submission and no one receives less of it than the one who made us and holds the universe together by the word of his mouth, God's son in human flesh. That's why Jesus came to be obedient as our representative, as a human being also made in the image of God. He came to live the submissive life to God, rendering to Him everything that we could not, even His own life, so that you and I would lack nothing. Jesus renders to God His due, renders every ounce to God of what is due Him. That, precisely, beloved, is what is imputed to you and I when we believe. That is why this God, great, filled with glory, filled with authority, perfectly holy, will accept us. Because somebody else stepped in, did what we could not, and credited us with what he had done. Why? Because we are called to render and we have nothing. Nothing. So all our desires, our inclinations, our instincts, our wants, our opinions, our beliefs, our possessions, our families, our spouses, our children, our jobs, our money, our time, they all belong to God. And listen... Sometimes, rendering to God is enjoying those things. Don't forget that either. Again, if there's anything or anyone in our lives that we cannot give up, that that is, that, is, that is a sacred cow to me, that is so important to me, it means everything to me, then that is also our God. We're letting that thing imprint its image on us, and beloved, that's treason. There's already an image on us. Regardless of what we say with our mouths. It does that doesn't matter. I, I don't worship that. That's not I don't you know, I don't need that thing to say that, that doesn't matter. God's opinion matters. God's opinion is the one that matters because listen, it's the only one that's not an opinion. Run to Jesus and surrender. The one whose image we bear will allow no other gods before him. I don't even want them in front of me. Right. Why did they marvel at his words? What was so amazing about what Jesus said here? Heavenly wisdom is not earthly wisdom. It's marveled at. We can't grasp it. We simply must submit to it. It cuts across the grain of our normal ways and means of understanding. Beloved, as God's people, we need to come to the place of doubting ourselves and questioning ourselves and the things we cling to the most as ours because the wisdom that comes from above is strange to us. There's a reason it won't feel right because we are rebels at heart. Remember, there will never come a time in our lives, believer, where it is our righteousness that is keeping us in the family of God. We will never not need the imputed perfective perfection and righteousness of Jesus Christ as the means by which God is accepting me, even actively. It doesn't feel right often, but it is right. And we must yield. God owns us. He commands our repentance, our loyalty, our worship. We must submit to Him. Beloved, this is not an invitation. Invitations, my favorite sermons ever said, invitations you, you can choose to accept or reject. This is a summons because a command has been given that you and I must repent and believe on the Lord for our salvation. So as June comes and we sing this morning before we take the Lord's Supper, you are commanded to repent. Repent. Make zero mistake about this. You must repent. You must be reconciled to God. Unbeliever. When Paul writes to the believing Corinthian church, do you know what he commands them? Be reconciled to God. I thought they were already reconciled. They are, but they don't know it. They don't believe it and they aren't living like it. So there may be believers in here that are as in as much need of repentance and submission to the Father. As an unbeliever, because that's what they're acting like by refusing to do so. Let this be the moment, if that's how God chooses to move, that you submit to Christ.